Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film, the film review podcast from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and I'm recording this in May 2020. This episode is the sixth of our isolation pods recorded in our virtual studio during lockdown. Today, it's a Little Women special. We're dedicating the episode to a deep dive on the film with two great guest critics who'll also share their recommendations for other home viewing. Helen O'Hara is editor-at-large for Empire magazine. She's a co-host of the Empire podcast, and she's a contributor to the BBC, and in her own modest words, really anyone who will have her. Wendy Lloyd is a long-standing UK film critic, reviewing regularly for BBC Radio Scotland and The Psychologist magazine. She's currently completing a master's at LSE, specialising in a feminist investigation of film and criticism in the Me Too era. Well, hello to Helen. Hello. Welcome back to Girls on Film. It's lovely to have you back. (laughs) Lovely to be here, yeah. And Wendy, also welcome back. Hi, Wendy. Hello there. Thank you both for coming on to Girls on Film's latest isolation pod. I want to find out a little bit about where you both are and how you're coping. Wendy, where are you speaking to us from? I'm in southeast London. I'm, I'm kind of ticking along like we are. You know, it's one day at a time, isn't it? I'm very lucky because I have a home studio. So a lot of my broadcast work and voiceover work continues to take place from home or, in fact, now all of it comes from home rather than yes. it used to be some of it going out and about and being able to do things like this in person with you fabulous people. But, um, you know, we're just making it happen really, aren't we? We did have fun at the, that Albright episode. I think it was episode 11 you came on with Amara Sante and um, Angie Erigo. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a great night. Um, Helen, where are you speaking to us from? I'm also in South East London, um, although socially distant, of course, from Wendy, as is appropriate. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just sort of, again, working away. I've got bits and pieces of writing to do. I'm working on a book uh, that's due out next year. So I've basically been trying to do as much research as I can without the access to a library, which I would usually be dependent on at this point. I had spent about the last two months in the British Film Institute library every day, all day. And suddenly I'm sort of reduced to whatever I have at home and can find on the internet. But, you know, soldiering on. Thank goodness for the internet, otherwise we'd exactly. be completely stuffed. <laughs> but, yeah. um, Wendy, have you, I, I presume the answer to this is yes, but have your film viewing habits changed since the lockdown began? Um, yeah, I mean, we're all missing the cinema, aren't we? Mm. But yeah, it's kind of interesting trying to, I don't know, dip back into some favourites while we've got a bit of an opportunity. I suppose I have also been watching quite a lot of TV dramas, catching up on stuff as well as classic movies. Helen, are you revisiting classic movies at the moment? I'm trying to do a little bit. I've I've signed up to Mubi recently, which is the sort of, you know, more cinephile movie subscription service. And and so I am actually trying to get some of the more obscure films that they have that I had, to my shame, never seen. So that's been really good. Army of Shadows, for example, was on there recently. And I'd never seen that. Don't tell anyone. So stuff like that has been good. But honestly, it's been trying to keep on top of my regular viewing and, and you know, keep on top of kind of... There are weekly releases and I am still trying to keep on top of those. So it has been pretty busy. And then also just I'm going back more to kind of comfort films if you like and just feel good films because 
it is an odd time and I think it's it's good to kind of retreat sometimes into the films that we know will make us happy, frankly. Um, so there's been a bit of, you know, the Martian even for problem solving and getting through <laughs> difficult situations and, and you know, uh, yeah. the Princess Bride and things like that. It's great. It makes you think very much about the emotional impact of re-watching certain kinds of films. I think that's really well mm. said. Yeah. Well, uh, ladies, shall we move on to our first review? Let's do it. Let's do this. So I know many of you have been reading along as part of our Little Women Book Club, and we've had some fantastic guests on the show, from politicians to listeners. Very soon, we'll be able to watch the film together. Greta Gerwig's award-winning adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's classic book is, of course, coming out on digital on May the 11th, 2020, and to own physically on May the 25th. The film stars Saoirse Ronan, Florence Pugh, Emma Watson and Eliza Scanlon as sisters in 19th century Massachusetts. Let's listen to a clip from Little Women. Josephine! Yes, here. Is there a reason you stopped reading Belsham? I'm sorry. I'll continue. You mind yourself, dearie. Someday you'll need me, and you'll wish you had behaved better. Thank you, Aunt March, for your employment and your many kindnesses, but I intend to make my own way in the world. Oh, well, no, no one makes their own way. Not really. Least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. But you are not married, aren't we? Well, that's because I'm rich. Now, Helen, you gave Little Women five stars in Empire magazine, mm. and you described it as the grandmother of all the fascinating films about women released last year. What did you love about it? I just, I mean, first of all, I love the book. Um, you know, I read it at a formative age. Um, I've seen, I think, all the previous versions, certainly all the big screen versions. And I didn't even realise how much of a fangirl I was until I was actually in Massachusetts once and I went to Louisa May Alcott's house and I saw, you know, actual Beth's piano because she had a sister called Beth who did die young and, and her piano is sitting there. And there is actual art by her sister May, who was the artist, wow. who she kind of reinvented as Amy. And all of this, and I genuinely... I had a moment, you know, and I was like, <laughs> I didn't realise I was much as much of a fangirl as I was. So I do now know that. And I went into this with almost trepidation that it wouldn't live up to my expectations. And it instead just blew them away. I just thought it was a really fresh approach to it. I thought it made it more growing up by by the whole time hopping device. It managed to introduce them as women rather than little girls. And therefore, I think the viewer is forced to take them more seriously because I think there is nothing more prevalent in this world than people not taking young women seriously, um, and especially teenage girls. Whereas by introducing them to us as, you know, young 20-somethings, I think it, it forced us to see them as people first. Um, and I think that was a really, really good move. I know it confused a few people who didn't know the book, um, but I think generally it works really well. And then just the casting was great. I loved the look of it. I just thought the the pacing and the, and the sort of tone and the kind of informality that, that Greta Gerwig gave to it, I just thought worked beautifully. I think that's a really good point about teenage girls not being taken seriously enough. And often when we see them taken seriously in cinema, it's in a contemporary setting. Mm. So, um, Wendy, I know you also liked it. What do you feel about this film resonates with young women and indeed older women today? Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's like um, Gerwig's sort of decision-making that she took when she was putting the screenplay together. I think um, there's some really clever sort of light touches and I think she manages to get a tone throughout it, which is really quite gentle but it belies some really powerful feminist commentary and obviously that's interweaved between scenes where we get to contemplate 
where we are now as women and, and for women compared to being in 1860. So you have kind of contemporary moments of, you know, be it Amy sort of saying, I'm going to give up painting, I'm not going to be good enough. And Laurie saying, you know, you're never going to be let into the sort of Academy of Geniuses anyway, who'd let women in. And, you know, so there's always nice points made throughout and about marriage as an economic proposition. And yet you also have scenes whereby they are wrestling with how to be women at that time. Mm. And it's firmly sort of established in that. So I think how she managed to kind of interweave things that resonate now for where we still are, and then obviously resonate very much as where we were then. It's a very clever dance to kind of put together. And I think Greta Gerwig did a phenomenal job with that. And I too, you know, even watching it a second time around, there are a couple of moments where the timeline does get a little bit like, hang on, and they, obviously they, <laughs> they flag it up to you with the different tones and everything. And I was very grateful for the good old standby of the cinematic different haircut because Joe cuts <laughs> her hair off. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know which bit we're in because the timelines at that point are getting really close together. So you sort of need that marker. But it was, uh, yeah, really cleverly done. I agree. And it's, you know, this has been talked about a lot, including on Girls on Film, but it's interesting how a film which was so expertly done and so nuanced and so clever did not get, um, you know, Best Director nomination at Mm. most award ceremonies. So I I think um, it's good to champion it now to point out that it was entirely deserving. I'm sure you both agree. Absolutely. It's an outrage. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of voters didn't watch it. I think they saw the title Little Women and they thought they said, I know what this is and didn't bother watching. I genuinely think that's the case. Wow, yeah. So, Helen, tell me about the performances in this. I know it's hard to pick any out, but who did you particularly <laughs> enjoy? Well, I loved Saoirse Ronan, obviously, as Joe, because uh, like anyone, and particularly any woman who goes on to become a writer, I identified with Joe growing up. Um, but also, I thought the side of her with Timothée Chalamet, I thought was great because obviously they know each other. They have that familiarity and that shorthand together. They've worked together a number of times now. And it just sort of came across on screen. You've got that chemistry between them. You've got that sense of them being bonded and kind of belonging together, but also not belonging together in a romantic way. And I just thought that was beautifully, beautifully played by both of them. So I loved their relationship, but but I just loved her on her own as well because she is so fiery. I think she is the fieriest Joe that we've actually had and that is no small praise given the women who have previously played the character. But she just, she gets the independence and she gets the kind of fire in her belly and she gets the ambition, I think, more than really anyone else because of that very clever ending, which I won't say too much about in case there's anyone listening who hasn't seen it. I doubt there is, but just in case. (laughs) But that ending, I think, gives her a dimension that none of the other Joes had to play with. And it gives her so much to do. And I think she is wonderful in this. Wendy, are there any other performances you'd like to pick out? I suppose it's important to kind of note the Amy character of Florence Pugh, because, of course, she plays it right through the age of 14 up to 21, um, which in previous incarnations of the film, they've had different actresses do it. And I thought Florence Pugh does a very good job. She's very good at looking like a kind of like pouty teenager. She did very well. And also, I think what I really liked about her performance, I mean, she's, you know, she's so stunning in everything she does. She really brings weight and nuance and, and, you know, to any character. And obviously she tends to, she's such a great actress, she gets given, you know, very much well three-dimensionally written kind of roles. But in this one, I think for all the times I've seen the previous films and I've read the book, it's really hard to like Amy at points in the story for different versions. I mean, obviously the bit where she 
outrageously assaults Joe's work. I still feel so cross mm-hmm. on Joe's behalf when I watch this. And I feel very cross with Amy at that point. But I think the way this character's developed, and like Helen was saying, because this develops you know, much more rather than just the original book, um, and I think it was the follow-up, wasn't it, that went more into their mm-hmm. adult life, because this you know, brings in them as young women, we get to understand Amy better. And I think Florence Pugh's performance of this also made me, for the first time, truly believe that Laurie had, is with Amy because he really loves her and not because it's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I can't get Joe. So, yeah, I think her performance really won me over to the character of Amy in a way I've never quite had before in the past. Mm. That's a great choice. I do think every role is well cast in this film, actually. I don't think there's one that's wrong, um, which is key. Um, Now, Helen, is there any one scene? I know there's a lot to choose from. Any (laughs) one scene that really resonated with you you'd like to talk about in detail? Do you know, the one that stands out for me is Joe and Marmy up in the attic. And she's sort of in a moment of crisis, basically, and sort of talking to her mother about, you know, her ambition and her desire to be independent and her desire to make her own way and her frustration with the world that won't let her. And yet at the same time, loneliness and and the frustration that comes with being set on that course. And I just think, again, you know, like you were saying before, Wendy, I think it's one of those great moments which does take substance from the book. That That is stuff that is there in the book, but gives it maybe a slightly more modern edge and a more modern relevant spin that works just brilliantly. And I, I just think it's such a powerful scene. I think I cried in the cinema when I was watching it first time, um, possibly second time as well. Let's not get into it. Um, but I, I just think both of them play it so, so well. Let's listen to a clip of that lovely scene. Perhaps, um, perhaps I was too quick in turning him down, Laurie. Do you love him? If he asked me again, I think I would say yes. Do you think he'll ask me again? But do you love him? I care more to be loved. I want to be loved. That is not the same as loving. Thanks, Helen. And Wendy, a scene you'd like to pick out? Um, I'm going to pick um, the one with Amy, Florence Pugh and Laurie when she's uh, in Paris still and she's been doing her art and she decides enough's enough, I'm going to give up on it. And she's it's such a wonderful scene of her pragmatism and this, you know, really illustrates this kind of contemporary richness of inner dialogue that resonates now even though everything she's saying, of course, was about her situation then. And this idea of her absolutely recognising, and this is something obviously that's touched upon right throughout the film by so many of the characters, but this whole reality that if she goes and earns money, then it won't be hers. If she marries, it'll belong to her husband. If she has children with her husband, it'll belong to him. So what's the point in trying to you know, carve out a career and make some money anyway? She doesn't think she's genius and why just be okay at it? And it's this real pragmatic but very sort of, I mean, there's an underlying sadness there because it really is about her giving up on 
what would fulfil her in a way that Joe doesn't. And I think that's the beauty of these other characters with Amy and Meg as well, is that you really see the different paths they go and the different ways they navigate these incredible social restrictions that are upon them at that time. So Amy talks about this and sort of throws it at Laurie, really. And what's really lovely is Laurie sits and listens. There's there's some great scenes with the men in this, this film whereby their reactions and their outsider status is very well played by Greta Gerwig because Laurie is not telling her off or challenging her. And in fact, he's challenging her to say, I, you know, what, why would you do that? And, and this happens a lot throughout the film. The men kind of bringing the women to task because of them wanting to compromise themselves. So, yeah, I, I just thought that scene was, was a beautiful encapsulation of this thing going throughout the film, which was marriage is an economic proposition at the end of the day. Why not? You know. Well said. I think that's a really such an interesting point. And when you make about the way that Gerwig subtly changes the dynamic between the men and the women and sort of contemporises it. Let's have a listen to that scene between Amy and Laurie. I've always known I would marry Rich. Why should I be ashamed of that? There's nothing to be ashamed of, as long as you love him. Well, I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. May not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. So both of you, you've clearly read the book. And we've been asking our listeners to get involved with our hashtag Little Women Book Club. Given that the film is out on May the 11th digitally, people still have a chance, if they're speedy readers, and listening to this on the first day it comes out, to read it. Um, Helen, why would you recommend people read the book now? I just think, okay, first of all, there is some stuff that has aged in the book. You know, there's some kind of piety in there that was very much of its time and hasn't stuck up as well as the rest. But I just think it's a wonderful portrait of a group of women and it takes their desires and their wishes seriously and it takes them seriously as people. And I think there aren't enough books that do that, certainly in the sort of quote unquote classical Uh, selection. And I think this is one of the ones that does. And it does follow them very realistically through this kind of growth from little women, if you like, to fully grown women. And I just think there isn't enough of that. There isn't enough literature out there or, or movies or anything else really about relationships among women that take us seriously as people who have our own desires and our own thoughts which may go far beyond love and marriage and a baby carriage, you know. So <laughs> I just adore it. I just think it's wonderful. But yes, if you're getting, you know, stressed out with the piety, just stick with it. It will kind of come good in a couple of pages. Don't worry. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I think initially it could be easy to think, oh, gosh, this is a bit sanctimonious, but it really isn't ultimately at all. Really, not. Uh, Wendy, how do you feel about the book? 
Well, interestingly, I haven't read it for a very long time. Um, so having seen this film, you know, obviously a couple of times recently, I would be really now interested to go back to the to, to the book to kind of, you know, reflect upon, as Helen's pointing out, the very different tone, the piety, and to really reflect upon very specifically the decisions that Greta Gerwig made with it and how different it is. And I think that's another reason to to look at it, which is, you know, not least to kind of enjoy and appreciate the, the kind of screenplay decision makings that Greta Gerwig has made and how bold they are and how they're bold, but they manifest in incredible subtle ways. So I think for me, that's I'm, I'm now in, wanting to go and read the book to kind of put a kind of comparison together. So are you joining our Little Women Book Club? Is that what you're saying, Wendy? I think I better. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> Thank you both for joining me to talk about Little Women. Yay. So let's have a look at a few other films that are available to watch at home. Uh, the first is Emma. Emma, spelt E-M-A, so not to be confused with Jane Austen's Emma, is an intoxicating comment on sex, power and chaos in modern-day Chile, according to the press notes anyway, and it follows director Pablo Larraín's acclaimed films Jackie, Neruda and No. Emma, played by Mariano Di Giuramo, is a young dancer in a toxic marriage with an older choreographer Gaston, played by Gael García Bernal. The pair are reeling from the decision to give their adopted child, Polo, back to the state, Racked with regret, Emma sets out on a mission to get her son back, not caring who she'll need to fight, seduce or destroy to make it happen. I mean, I personally was kind of transfixed by this film. I'm not sure I absolutely loved it, but I thought it was a visually arresting film that tackled a lot of fascinating issues around motherhood and fidelity in relationships and sort of presented as a choreographed art house film but sort of veered towards being a schlocky erotic thriller at points. Um, <laughs> Wendy... Emma is a seductive character, but did she win you over? Yeah, I think I think you summed it up very well. I, I very much kind of got to the end of this and went, I'm not sure what I feel about this film. But like the, <laughs> the visual nature of it was fantastic, beautifully shot, to the extent that I did kind of think that a few kind of plot points were just contrived to make everything look like an amazing music video at times. But for the character of Emma itself, and I think it's notable that it's a film is called Emma, and it very much is about her. And you are kind of fascinated by her and the actress who plays her. She's phenomenal. She is really striking and she's very powerful and there's a real sort of aggressiveness about her aggressive seductress element she, she also when she's hanging out with all the dancer friends I mean for me she looks like the kind of girl that bullied me at school so there's a slight sort of like oh <laughs> no. she's sort of a very terrifying and powerful character um and and not likable and you know and I think that's the thing all the characters Gail Garcia Bernal's character they're not very likable. They're, they're very narcissistic and you, they kind of feel like they deserve each other. But I do agree with you, Anna, that there is some really interesting sort of subject areas discussed and done in an atypical way in terms of motherhood and rejecting a child. And I suppose what I just found a little frustrating is that I would have liked a little bit more of a sense of her inner self and her motivations. I felt a bit lost and therefore it was hard to kind of empathise and engage at times. Yeah, she remains quite enigmatic, didn't she? Um, Helen, was that an issue for you? How did you get along with the film? I I mean, I kind of, I think I loved it. It's it's again, it's a hard <laughs> film to to know exactly. Um, but I think I agree with, with most of what you said. I thought um, Emma herself is fascinating I would say magnetic rather than likable maybe you know you're fascinated to see what she does next and you have no idea what it's going to be um so that was exciting it, you didn't 
quite trust her ever. And that really goes for most of the characters. I mean, I think that's the relationship that she has with Gallagher Thea Bernal's uh, Gaston, her husband as well. You know, they sling these horrific insults and these horrific things at each other. You know, I think we're encouraged to believe that they, they're right in what they say. So they're both terrible, terrible people and they both do <laughs> terrible, terrible things. And in particular, she does terrible, terrible things. And then when you find out where they were going at the end, it's 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 almost hilarious. It's almost a comedy, but a very, very black and kind of bleak one at the same time. Yeah, yeah it's, it is a darkly funny comedy. I was uh, narrating my poor husband saying, I bet you this is going to happen. Oh, no, they're going <laughs> to do that twist, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and sure enough, but it was kind of satisfying seeing it all play out. Yeah. I mean, there's a, without spoilers, there's a, bit, there's a bit of the old facial attraction bunny boiler cliche going on here. <laughs> There's a, there's an edge of that because Emma is very dangerous, clearly. Whether that's yeah. emotionally dangerous or physically dangerous isn't always clear. But yeah, and she is a bit of a pyromaniac. I don't think that's a spoiler to say. So she she definitely has a sense that anything could happen with this woman. Um, and she is clearly someone who will not stop at anything to get what she wants and doesn't really have a lot of regard for what anyone else wants. But at the same time, you're kind of just again, interested to watch it, you know, it, it's sort of like watching a car crash or something. You're like, uh, you know, yeah. wow, you don't get to see this very often <laughs> in a strange way. But I, I don't think she's a sort of cliche of the rejected woman or anything like that. No, she is a kind of um, a different depiction. I and mean, I kind of wondered at times whether or not she was, I mean, where it kind of descends into her just being this sort of out and out sexual seductress in order to get what she wants. It felt a bit sort of two dimensional at times, that kind of aspect of her. But um, I found myself kind of like intrigued by the end because I then revisited what her motivations were and who got what out of it. So it was, you know, I mean, we're all, all discussing it in terms of kind of going, really, what's that? You know, and that kind of intrigue is always quite interesting, isn't it? When you see a film and you literally don't know how you feel about any of it, really. <laughs> I quite like that. Yeah, I, I love, and I sort of loved that I didn't know. Like Helen, I was going, I think I love it. Do I love it? Is it wrong to love it? Am I a bad feminist if I love it? You know, all those thoughts. Um, but but this is what I kind of love about movies. Yeah. You know, the ones that challenge you like that. Mm. And um, you know, it's written by three men, but there's no doubt it's a very strong central female performance. And I was mm. interested to read that um, the director Pablo Larraín um, he met up with the the actress in a coffee shop. And within 10 minutes, he'd offered her the role without auditioning her or anything. So I feel like she must have fixed him with that look that she fixes everyone she wants to seduce in the film and yes, just she talked him round. She, she hypnotised him. I just like to think that's how it played out. But it obviously worked. I mean, she yeah. is terrific, it, it should She's be said. Incredible. So I think, yeah, if you're, if, if you're an adventurous mind, get onto a movie and check out Emma. Yes. Great. Now, Helen, is there anything else you would recommend for home viewing at the moment? Well, if you need a bit of a lift and a bit of emotional kind of catharsis, the Michelle Obama documentary Becoming has come out on Netflix this week. So it's part of the continuing deal between the Obamas and Netflix. And it is... It's just a bit of a look behind the scenes at her book tour and a look behind the scenes at her life, really, um, both before and after she became First Lady. And it's a very... I just find it incredibly moving. So she's she's not just telling her own story, but she's going out to schools and to communities and even just to book signings and talking to ordinary people and trying to sort of connect with ordinary people and in particular with young women and trying to sort of raise their aspirations and encourage them to believe in themselves and encourage them not to let anyone limit their 
hopes and dreams for the future. And it basically had me welling up at least once every five minutes. I'm really sounding like I'm very, you know, <laughs> teary today, but but it just I just find it incredibly inspiring. And it was lovely to remember a time when there were competent people in charge of things, you know. Um, so I just was really moved by it. I'm not saying you're going to learn anything stunningly new about Michelle Obama from this. I think a lot of it has been covered, not just in the book, obviously, because this is, you know, on her on her book tour, but also just in general in in the press. I think a lot of this basic information is out there. But it's just seeing those little moments behind the scenes, seeing the bond she has with her staff, seeing her just talking to normal people. I think it's um, it's a really lovely look at her life. I don't think it will change your view on her. If you like her, you will like her more. If you don't like her, I'm sure you won't be one over at this point. But um, but I just thought it was really, really moving. I agree that it was moving. I think it's interesting that from the very get-go, she's talking to other women who are emotional and she's emotional and there are people crying, you know, and, and that's something that almost gives you permission to get involved and permission to shed a tear, particularly in the current situation, as you say, to get a bit misty-eyed about, about the past. Yeah, she's a tremendous woman and this is directed by a woman, Nadia Halgren. I think she does she does a, a very good job um, and it's on Netflix now so people can, can check that out. Um, Wendy, you've read the book, haven't you, Becoming? Yeah, I read the book. I really loved it. It's one of those books I've kind of been handing around to girlfriends and I think for me reading that book, not only obviously is it a really interesting tale of this, you know, incredible woman and, and her, her incredible life, I found personally, and I've ended up mentioning this to so many uh, women friends, this this really good takeaway that sort of really stood out for me in the book was how from a very early age, she was very aware of the fact that what she needed to do when she turned up in a new workplace was to identify someone who could be a mentor for her. And she kind of very much flags up and says, this is what made the difference in my life. This is how I navigated incredibly male-dominated workplaces, such as being a lawyer, obviously. And I found that really kind of powerful and useful. And I think those kind of things, those kind of messages, and again, it, it adds to this whole thing with, you know, we always talk about in this show, which is things that kind of provide more of an insight into how to be a woman and women's stories and women's experiences in the world. Um, so I, I, you know, I found that in the book, just a really inspirational takeaway. So I mean, yeah, I'm going to be very much looking forward to watching this and shedding those tears. <laughs> Shall we have a listen to a clip? Don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> How did you, as a black woman, persevere? We can't afford to wait for the world to be equal, to start feeling seen. I feel like I gotta share with you all that the energy that's out there is much better than what we see. How's everybody doing? This girl is on fire! As my mother would say, Michelle and Barack Obama aren't special. There are millions of Michelle and Barack Obamas all over the world. If we can open up a little bit more to each other and share our stories, that's what breaks down barriers. Wow. Wendy, is there anything that you would like to recommend to us that you can watch at home now? Yeah, something that popped up, you know how it's like on these kind of all your all your online film viewing, sort of things pop up and you don't know whether they're new or, or why they've decided that this is for you right now. But something that popped up for me recently is the film Carrie Pilby. It's directed by Susan Johnson, who also did all, To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And it's co-written by Karen Listener, on whose novel the film is based. The novel's also called Carrie Pilby. And she co-wrote the screenplay with Cara Holden. It stars Belle Powley, 
who I just adore. Those eyes of Belle Powley are just always mm. so magical. Um, and she plays this precocious but reclusive genius 19-year-old who's sort of finding her way in New York City following the trauma of this, you know, this flashbacks to this somewhat, let's say, predatory relationship with her slightly creepy professor at Harvard who took advantage of the fact that she came into college early. Um, so there's some real sort of depth to what's going on for her character there's also some really good, funny scenes, um, some involving Nathan Lane, who's her therapist in this, and also some really good scenes um, between her and the character Tara, who's played by Vanessa Payer, and, and make it completely ding, tick the Bechdel test. So that's always a good one. So yeah, I, I found it very, very enjoyable. It's sort of very charming. And yeah, I, I think something that certainly for that kind of comfort movie feel at the moment, definitely ticked the box for me. That sounds ideal. Thank you for sharing. Is that on streaming services at the moment then? It's on Netflix currently. Great. Let's have a listen to a clip. What did you do this week? Reading? Mostly. And how many books did you read? 17. And does reading 17 books in one week seem normal? Does going to Harvard at the age of 14 seem normal? I'm clearly not normal. Where do we go? Hi, Dad. Hello, darling. I found you a job. Do you want me to be maladjusted? Life doesn't always work out as we plan it. Hello? You're Carrie Pilby, right? I might be. What kind of guy are you looking for? I'm not looking for any kind of guy. So you go for girls. I'm not a lesbian. Are you a nun? Now, Helen, you and I are also fans of another film that is currently available on digital, finally, and that's Birds of Prey. At least I think you're a fan, correct? Yes. No, I am, yes. If people listening have not seen Birds of Prey, quickly summarise why you think they should see it. Well, this is a sort of sequel, but more or less a reboot to um, Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie's character in Suicide Squad. That film was bad, just to be clear, um, but she was very good in it. So they've sort of spun her off. So this is actually, the full title is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, if we're being formal. So anyway, um, Harley has basically broken up with the Joker, which makes her top of everybody's hit list because she's sort of been under his protection before and now everyone she's ever offended is gunning for her. And she ends up essentially having to team up with the aforementioned Birds of Prey in order to take down a very bad guy who's played by Ewan McGregor. It's just a very bright, poppy comic book movie that is unlike most of the ones we've seen before in that it's very feminist. It's directed by a woman, Kathy Yan. It takes women seriously again. It's the same idea almost as little women in that, in that respect. You know, it's a big Hollywood movie, but it, it's sort of dealing with things like... Um, relationship abuse and gaslighting and sort of starting your life over again when you get out of an abusive relationship and what what that might look like. It, it deals with sexism in the workplace, you know, it deals with women being the sort of collateral damage in men's fights and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of kind of substance, but it's also a big ridiculous action movie with fabulous costumes. So it's just quite fun. And if you need a little bit of escapism at the moment, this isn't a bad option. And I have to say, Ewan McGregor as the sneering villain, fabulous. Chris Messina as his terrifying sidekick, fabulous. And all of the women are brilliant. Well, that's it. It's about women working together and women actually talking to each other, talking in the Bechdel test, Wendy. This is a definite <laughs> pass. And um, yeah, I agree with everything you said, Helen. I think it's a rare thing to see that combination of qualities in the blockbuster and that should be celebrated and let's hope that's the way for the future. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your views on home viewing and Little Women, of course. And thank you, Wendy and Helen, for being girls on film again. Thank you. Pleasure as Absolute ever. Pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to Girls on Film and thank you to Hedda Archbold of HLA Productions for producing, Jane Long for audio producing and our intern Heather Dempsey. Girls on Film is also now available in video form. Go to the BFI's YouTube channel to see our special episode with Billy Piper, Sally Phillips, Ronnie Ancona and more. It's a hoot. You can follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and Instagram at girlsonfilm underscore podcast. And do also join us on Facebook if you're on Facebook at girlsonfilmpodcast. Big shout out to Sony and to everyone who's joined us in the hashtag Little Women Book Club. And we hope you all enjoy the film when it's released on May the 11th. Do subscribe and review us if you enjoyed this episode. Girls on Film has a Patreon page. To support us, go to patreon.com forward slash girlsonfilmpodcast. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Helen O'Hara and Wendy Lloyd. Stay safe, everyone. I suppose marriage has always been an economic proposition, even in fiction. It's romance. (laughs) It's mercenary.